0: I didn't know how I was going to show up on Nuit Blanche. I was like, "Hopefully, I don't have that misanthropic moment." But instead, I just fell in love with everybody.
1: That is Michelle Polak.
0: Most people want to say Pollock.
1: And this is Tiny Conversations. I'm Brian Colley. Michelle is a-, uh,
0: a human being, a mother. A lezer? No, well, I am, but. um.
1: I recently took part in a play Michelle performed as part of Nuit Blanche in downtown Toronto. I say took part because the play was one of the most involved, intimate performances I've ever seen and felt. For those of you who don't know, Nuit Blanche is a free, all night art festival that takes over Toronto one night of every year. I found Michelle outside of a freight elevator in an old Toronto building at three in the morning. She started the play by offering to make a sandwich for one of the people who had come to watch her. She spoke about entropy and our ability to connect. The crowd grew as she made the sandwich, and then she let us ask anything we wanted. The questions got very personal, very quickly. Michelle made intense eye contact as she answered, and something stirred deep inside me. Once the sandwich was made, she invited a few individuals to come inside the freight elevator. Which had an echoing
0: of the Auschwitzian trains, but I didn't name that. It was for me to know.
1: Inside the walls were covered with brown sheets of craft paper with words written on them. As we all crammed together, Michelle then delivered an 18-minute monologue that was very personal and very emotional. She referenced her grandfather's survival of the Holocaust. She alluded to her addiction and struggles with relationship and love. After, feeling incredibly moved, I asked if we could talk about her performance. Here's that conversation. When I saw you perform, one of the things that kind of struck me and how much of you was in that, Mm -hmm. how do you go about creating something that is kind of so personal and so hopeful?
0: I saw a horrible piece of theater, which will remain nameless, in 2009. And I had uh, had two kids, and I was, like, so excited to leave the house and and just be back in the theater. And then this heinous piece of shit was in front of me. And I thought, what the fuck? Like, this is bad. And you're not speaking to me. And I I, I wanted to throw chairs. I was violent. I, I was, like, having a big reaction. And I thought, instead of just being outraged, do something about it. So... Create your own work and see how easy that is then. So I threw a gauntlet down to my own self as a as an act um, in that moment. And then uh, at the time I was in, even though I was a mama, I was in quite quite a entrenched and active addiction, not dealing with parts of myself that were fragmented and not whole. So I uh, was hired to go do I, Claudia, and Prince George. And when I was alone for the first time in a long time in a, in a hotel room, I strung up a piece of brown paper and started putting words down and started to allow my... Um, The undercurrent of what was underneath everything to speak.
1: What were some of the words written on there?
0: From nothing to something. uh, Addiction, home, epigenetics, cancer. There was a whole list of like all the concerns I have. I kept wondering in my piece how can I, you know, not smash people over the head politically necessarily with things they already know? If you're already coming out to the theater, you're usually already in the left. So you already know these things, but what will it take for us to change our behavior? With Nuit Blanche, I did want to offer hope. January 1st, I uh, received a sort of offering from a friend of mine. Um, I'm now in recovery and I have been clean for almost six years. Uh, And this former 20-year heroin junkie friend of mine said to me, "Uh, what if nothing's wrong, like always, even in moments, especially in moments of great discomfort? What if nothing's wrong? What if that is exactly where you need to be to learn the lesson, to find the teaching, to grow, to move that baggage aside? What if at all times you're exactly where you need to be? And so part of this piece, I decided to go into personal history. And part of that history was feeling a little bit shy to name myself uh, in a Jewish context But I have uh, Holocaust, my my grandfather was in Auschwitz with the number 160566 tattooed on his arm, and I promised myself I would never hide. Uh, So inside my own bloodline is survivor blood. And in my feeling on the earth right now, my experience on the earth, I'm hoping that we move from survivor to thriver.
1: You brought up the word thriver. Mm -hmm. How do you define that?
0: I have a buddy of mine named Danny Lynn, and she... uh, Won the Seminovich in theater and opera for design, and then left and became a healer. And when I was forty years old, I was gifted a, a session on the table to to do some Reiki healing. She came up with this term from from survivor to thriver. It's defined as a a sense of coming home where you bring those fragmented parts when there's trauma that gets separated. And it's our job in a healing process to bring those pieces home, to bring everybody home. I like to play with the idea of like these shotgun boys. Imagine I'm on a porch. And it's like the shadow side of things. And, you know, I've got like a shotgun to my temple of like control and shame and guilt and like all of these, they call them the shotgun boys. And I think in our culture, we, we we are haunted by our shadow side sometimes. We don't always allow them to be our teachers and to bring them all at the table to say, okay, you're all welcomed here. Let's all have a big feast. Some of you guys have to take a back seat though. And it's almost like um, thriving for me is around allowing the higher voice to speak, moving the egoic mind, letting the egoic mind not have hold the wheel. And if and if I do, then you have a narcissistic piece. Then you have like me wanting to get something from you versus me artistically offering you something. So thriving for me is checking in with my body, is going, oh, how, you know, are you, did you eat? Did you sleep? Like basic human needs. Are you, have you taken care of yourself? It's up to me to take great care of this sacred garden and therefore to do the best work I can do as a mother, as a partner, as a friend, as a community member, uh, as an activist, as a healer, as a teacher. So much of the work is personal and so much of it was tapping into the Polak side of my family because uh, you can't see me through the radio, but I am a Caucasian woman in a very brown body. And I thought, well, where is this brown skin from? And what did I, and I know that he was born in Amsterdam. And I, this, uh, two, a couple summers ago, started researching, wh- who are these people? And because of the Holocaust, there was a lot of, well, everybody died except for my grandfather. So in my work, I was looking at epigenetics. And epigenetics is, is um, uh, looking at a kind of genetics now how traumas pass through bloodline. So perhaps some of the fear that I carry and the worry isn't actually mine. It might be in my DNA.
1: I'm just imagining over the course of Nuit Blanche, you know, you're performing this piece 12 hours, um, lots and lots of different people, and it's requiring you to be very, very present. Mm -hmm. On your emotional side, what were you going through over that that night?
0: What sometimes happens if I have a party is, like, I'm so excited to have all my people there, and then the morning of the party, I'm misanthropic, and I'm like, why did I do this? I don't ever want to see anybody. So I didn't know how I was going to show up on Nuit Blanche. I was like, hopefully I don't have that misanthropic moment but instead i just fell in love with everybody there was elation there was despair but i was safe i i was mindful about trying to keep myself space, safe throughout the 12 hours uh, two people over the night actually fainted almost fainted almost passed out like it was they were so overwhelmed by something um there was one woman who had a complete collapse like an emotional collapse after the thing was over and she stayed in the elevator. So I closed the the wooden slats of this old freight elevator. I decided to stay with her and be with her in that moment of great discomfort. To to offer her, well, what if nothing's wrong? Well, what if this moment right now that you're having is the release that you need to have? And I'm going to bear witness with you and remind you of your exquisiteness that you've been on a 13.8 billion year trip and you're here in this moment of pain. I know through love and through some energetic you know, offerings, that we can bring things together. And that connectivity and holism and unity is pretty magic-y. I do know how to love. I know how to let love in, and I know how to let love out. And it's the fundamental teaching I've offered my children. I think if we can imagine it, it, there's a possibility it can happen, and therefore more hopefulness. So constantly looking at ways where we can infuse hope and positivity and love
1: Michelle is also an award-winning performer who is the first woman in Canada to receive the Patrick Crean Award. If you live in New Brunswick, you can see Michelle in an upcoming performance of The Snow Queen at Theater of New Brunswick. You can also hear Maya and Michelle's full conversation on the Tiny Conversations website, TinyConversations.com. In her half-hour chat, Michelle and I talk about parenthood, what her dad thought about a first read of the play, he tore it down, she says. And her thoughts on Donald Trump, the election, and how she thinks it's similar to 1940s Germany and the Holocaust.
0: We are looking at a similar time. How could this happen again? What are we doing? We have to stay awake. We have to
1: advocate. You can hear that entire conversation on tinyconversations.com. While there, you can also find links to subscribe to this podcast and also links to listen to past episodes. Making this podcast is very personal to me. I craft each episode with care for you. Honestly, if I can ask you for two things, the first is to hug someone willing a little longer than you're used to. The second is that you subscribe and share this podcast. I think both of those things would be really nice acts of kindness that I would truly appreciate. Okay, that's it for me. I'll be back in about two weeks with a new episode. I'm Brian Colley. Thanks for listening.